Hello, music teacher friends. This is episode number 51 of the Beyond Measure podcast, and I am Christina Whitlock, your anytime piano teacher friend. I titled today's episode, My Practice Manifesto, (laughs) because quite unintentionally, by the way, I have realized that my attitude toward practice and how it influences our private lessons has undergone a significant shift over the last decade or so. It's something I'm still working through in my brain, quite honestly, but I happen to think it's really, really important. And since this is the way important things work, it's also not going to be without controversy. (laughs) Truth be told, you may absolutely hate what I'm about ready to say. And if that's the case, I will still claim that as a victory because I love the idea of helping you sharpen your perspective on teaching. And if our conversation today helps you decide that you definitely hold an opposite belief of mine, (laughs) well, then I am happy to have helped you gain that perspective. You're welcome. I mentioned in last week's question and answers episode that we were going to take a look at how to handle lessons with students when they have not practiced this week. Well, it turns out that I have a lot of thoughts about practice. (laughs) I'm sure you do too. So before you can really get the full depth of my ideas about how to handle students who have not practiced, I realized that I have to let you in on my latest thought processes about student practice and the expectations that we place around it. So buckle up, my friends, because here we go. I am going to level with you here because it's important for you to know that a core guiding philosophy of my approach to teaching is the fact that I believe music study can benefit everyone. And I mean everyone, preschoolers through senior citizens, athletes, artists, writers, people with big ambitions, and those who seem to have no ambitions. (laughs) those with learning exceptionalities, those with emotional difficulties, students from supportive families, as well as those who have to fend for themselves a little bit more, students who who earn great grades in school, those who don't, I mean, everyone. I know that sounds very altruistic and every one of you probably wants to agree with that philosophy on a surface level. But here's the rub. (laughs) Many teachers, possibly even you, don't actually subscribe to that in your own studio. There are lots of absolutely incredible teachers out there who maintain very strict expectations when it comes to practice. I know this because I used to try very hard to be one of them. (laughs) 
(laughs) For the record, these teachers often have terrific methodology and well-thought-out sequencing and the whole nine yards. And they are often well-educated in the important way that parental involvement and practice time support the foundation of strong musicianship. May it forever be known that I could not agree more with the importance of consistent practice time and supportive family relationships for successful music making. Absolutely, 100%, no doubt about it, you cannot argue that those elements are ideal. However, (laughs) if you happen to be a teacher who draws a line in the sand concerning practice time, I'm talking about teachers who maintain policies like students must practice between X amount of hours per week or they will be dismissed from the studio. Or, even if you just find yourself feeling defeated on a regular basis due to your disappointment in lack of student practice time, here's the thing. If that is you, you are not actually operating a studio where your guiding philosophy is that music can benefit everyone. Or at least not music study with you. Because in that case, you are actually operating on a philosophy that says music study benefits those who are willing to make a commitment to practice time. (laughs) Is there anything wrong with that philosophy? That music study with you is only of benefit to the students who are willing to make a commitment to practice time? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I hope it's obvious to all of us that those committed to practice do benefit the most from music study. (laughs) Those students who make time for their instruments, those with parents who are going to monitor practice time in whatever way that works best in their family dynamic, those who are willing to say no to the intensive school plays or the travel soccer team or whatever it might be, so they can maintain their practice hours. Of course, those students are very likely going to advance much further than those who don't set the same boundaries. And hooray, teachers are allowed to decide that those are their students. That parents who make the commitment to sit with their student while they practice every single day are their kinds of studio parents. And if teachers can fulfill their studio visions with those students, well, that's fantastic. This describes many of you to a T. I have great admiration for those studios that consistently produce high-achieving musicians and build that expectation of real dedication to their art. So hear me, I am not coming after those teachers, not in the slightest. By achieving that status, they have proven their methods and, in my eyes, have solidified their rock star status in our profession. And when they are able to maintain those standards, then they get to keep themselves happy, and that is all to be celebrated. 
there is definitely room in the world for those teachers, and we need them. There is also, though, room in the world for other kinds of teachers with other kinds of students, and I happen to think we need them too. Teachers like me to an extent who believe music study can benefit the overcommitted. <laughs> that music study can benefit those kids with parents who want to sign the checks and come to recitals and let that be the end of their parental expectation. <laughs> Students who absolutely love making music during the lesson time and who leave, like skipping down the sidewalk with the best of intentions, promising to work harder at home this week, only to get home and settle into all the same non-practicing habits. <laughs> then they return the next week and repeat the same experience week after week. <laughs> and I say this because I know there are lots of you out there dealing with students like this, with families who do not make music the priority that it deserves to be. And many of you are miserable over it because we see what our colleagues get to do with these students who do work the way we want them to. And we know what type of commitment we had to our lessons, or at least the type of commitment that we wish our students had. And it doesn't mean that we should stop setting the bar high for our students. I mean, quite the contrary. But at the end of the day, if you want to find fulfillment in your teaching, wouldn't it be great to find a way to get rid of those frustrations you feel from students who don't practice the way you would like them to? Okay, so I feel like I'm probably ruffling feathers here. I cannot say enough how important it is to set high expectations for our students I work very hard when I'm onboarding new students to communicate really clear expectations about practice, parental involvement, lesson attendance, you name it. My students and I discuss practice routines and practice techniques pretty much every week. They know what is expected and why. And I will say, for the most part, they live up to those standards pretty consistently. So please do not believe for a second that I am running a studio where practice is considered optional, because that is very much not the case. What I do believe, though, is that no one needs any more guilt in their life about something they are not getting done. <laughs> guilt, by the way, doesn't work in any age demographic. It doesn't work. <laughs> No one is going to be motivated to work harder or prioritize their instrument if they just view practice as one more thing they are expected to do. This is especially important for adult students, but actually it applies every bit to our younger students as well. Feeling the burden of someone else's expectations will not motivate you. <laughs> And if you draw a line in the sand and tell students that they can't keep studying with you if they join the volleyball team, it happens, 
you are going to lose. (laughs) Your student will choose volleyball. And that means your student is also going to lose because they will go from occasional practice time to zero practice time. And that right there is what breaks my heart. Every time I have found myself in a position to wonder whether or not I should let a student go because of lack of practice, the idea of their going from a little piano playing to no piano playing hits me square in the gut. (laughs) And sure, maybe they would find another teacher after me, but I doubt it. The amount of shame a student carries from not living up to their teacher's practice expectations will likely stick with them for their whole life. Don't we hear it all the time from our peers? How many times has an adult confessed to you that they took lessons as a child, but they hated to practice, so essentially their teacher gave up on them? One of my overarching goals of music teacher life is to do everything in my power to make sure students associate music study with warm, fuzzy, happy, confidence-building feelings. (laughs) Selfishly, it's kind of ensuring some kind of job security for the future, right? (laughs) We need our students of today to see lessons as a worthy pursuit So they pass on that idea to future generations, don't we? (laughs) When it comes down to it, I want every student to feel supported here in my studio, regardless of what life has thrown at them any given week. And I want them to feel successful with what they are doing, which, by the way, is the single biggest motivator for increasing practice time at home. So... When our students find themselves in a season of life where they are drowning in overcommitments, as they often are these days, or when their emotional health is suffering and taking a toll on their practice time, or when whatever circumstances come and distract them from getting consistent practice time with their instrument, what are our choices? What can we do with these students who are not meeting our practice standards? Do we dismiss them from the studio because we see it as a waste of time? Well, maybe, if you don't need that student and you are able to operate your studio that way. Do we spend every lesson giving them the motivational speech of our lives, (laughs) trying to talk them into making practice a priority? (laughs) I've been there, done that, and... Maybe it works, but not a lot of the time. Or do we reconsider how we structure our lessons? Hmm. I think, yeah, that seems like a good idea. (laughs) So, as much as I hate to leave you on this cliffhanger, (laughs) I'm going to do it, and we're going to wrap up for today, and next week... We will talk specifics about how to handle lessons when your student hasn't practiced. But for now, can I just leave you to consider this crazy notion that maybe, just maybe, 
We don't have to feel frustrated or disappointed or disrespected or any of the negative feelings we tend to feel if a student isn't meeting practice expectations. Can we maybe shift our focus to just teaching the human being that shows up that day in whatever state of musicianship they currently understand? Can we do that? As per usual, let's wrap up with a toast once I take a breath and let my heart rate come back down after getting all worked up over here. (laughs) Music teacher friends of the world, today we are celebrating the fact that we have found a profession that allows us to set our own standards and to flourish in whatever environment we create. We raise our glass to our fellow teachers who are able to find and inspire families to follow dedicated practice regimens. And at the same time, we also raise our glass to the teachers who find themselves with varying degrees of commitment from their students. May we all remember, at the end of the day, our students' practice habits are their own deal. (laughs) They do not reflect the quality of educator we are, nor do they reflect how much or how little our students respect us. We never truly know what is going on at our students' homes, nor should we ever fool ourselves into thinking we have any control over what happens at their homes. (laughs) That is way beyond our actual scope of influence, friends. (laughs) So, Cheers to you today, my wide variety of music teacher friends. Hear, hear. Okay, let me take a giant step down off of this big soapbox I'm on and tell you thanks for listening to episode number 51. Next week, we tackle actual actionable approaches you can take in the lesson when a student shows up with little to no practice under their belt. And, bonus, I will kick off that episode with the most controversial thing I have ever said on this podcast. Do I have your attention? I hope so. So, I will look forward to seeing you next week, my friends. In the meantime, let's work hard, rest well, And you know it, be nice. (laughs) Thanks so much.